filled with appointments. We all have them. Some are more important than others. Some we're late for. Some we try to avoid. And some we simply miss altogether, don't we? Some are filled with good news. And sometimes those appointments are filled with bad news. And we all have appointments with God that really work in the same kinds of ways. But it is the difficult appointments that produce difficult times in our lives that will ultimately probably produce the greatest works of depth in our lives from God or the greatest points of bitterness from our lives, depending on how we respond. There was a man. I'm sure he was filled with questions, experiencing great confusion as he tried to understand and figure out the situation that he ultimately found himself in. Day after day, week after week, month after month, he sat in this dirty, desolate dungeon, filled with the difficulty of with questions and all of the unfairness. He could have been thinking, his mood could have been, well, why would this be happening? How could this be? I have connections in high places, really high, the highest of places. I love him. I put my trust and belief in him. I gave my life to him. I serve him. I started churches in his name. Could I have complaints? Yes, this stinks. Could he have self-pity? Absolutely. Ask the question, why me? Could he have made demands? You bet. Get me out of here. Well, that man is the writer, the Apostle Paul. He wrote many letters to the churches, probably at least close to two-thirds of our uh, epistles of the New Testament are written by him to churches. He wrote from jails. He had been in prison unfairly, oftentimes, all the time for his faith. And it was at these appointments with Christ, with God, that he could have really been set back. But instead, he used them to move the church and his life forward. Have you ever noticed some people who are always happy when everything is going their way <laughs> and miserable when it's not? Other folks seem to be happy no matter what takes place or what happens. You know why that is I've seen over time? It's because they really have tapped into a source that is not simply external and based on circumstances. It really is an internal strength and source usually birthed by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of God. One of the things that attracted me to Christianity when I was 17 years old was a man, his name was Alvi. He was not well, excuse me, he was not rich, he was not well off even. He probably would have lived at almost a poverty level possibly once I saw his house. But every Sunday that I saw him in church, without fail, he would come up to me and give me the biggest hug in the whole wide world. And at first I thought, this is really weird. I was 17, 16 maybe, 17. But after six months, guess what? I was still pretty cool walking into church. But deep down inside, I looked forward to this joyful man coming up and giving me a hug like no other man had ever done before. As you read the book of Philippians, something that just bleeds out of it, that stands out above all everything else in the book is a couple of words, and it's called joy and rejoicing. And those two words show up over 14 times in this short letter. And what's so powerful about it is Paul's in prison. Now, he's in a literal prison, and he's rejoicing. 
He's a jailbird physically, but guess what? Internally, he's free as a bird. And he's living life in its highest and fullest dimensions. There are many ways to be imprisoned, isn't there? Uh, obviously, physically. But sometimes we get imprisoned in this life. Just we're, we're, we're really free, but we allow ourselves to be placed in prison because we become vic- victim of circumstances. Those things that are way beyond our control. Those things that you can't control that really show you your life really in a lot of ways isn't your own. Maybe you're trapped in a dead-end job. Maybe your marriage is soured and you feel like you're a prisoner of a bad marriage. Maybe you're confined with a physical handicap or illness that you just can't overcome. Or maybe you just feel closed in due to some bad decisions that you've made. See, the Apostle Paul, he was definitely a prisoner physically, and he could have been a prisoner emotionally, but I really believe it was his faith that moved him beyond having a prisoner mentality. And I want to just allow the word to kind of wash over us this morning and look at a few different things about his life that is really good things to remember in this season of Thanksgiving as we head into Christmas. So if you would pick it up in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read through about three-fourths of this chapter today. So just uh, take your Bibles and just kind of follow along and allow the Word to literally wash over you. Now, Paul and Timothy, who were slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, this was a church that Paul started some years earlier. He says, I'm also writing to the overseers and the deacons, the leaders of the church. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. See, there there, there probably is something connected there. He notes prayer, prayer, joy, prayer, joy. In a difficult situation, where else do you have to go when you can't figure it out and get it worked out on your own? Now catch this phrase, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you mark in your Bible, I would underline, underscore, circle, verse 6. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. You are all partners with me in grace. Notice that word partners again. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came, he died for our sins. He rose again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel, the good news. For God is my witness how I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, I feel it in my guts. I'm away from you, but I still feel you in the deepest parts of my soul. How I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to see the first thing there, that the reason Paul, I really believe, is is experiencing this great joy. And one of the reasons that we can experience great joy is because of good partners. 
Paul had good partners, he says. Paul is in lockdown, and the first words out of his mouth in this introduction, after he does the, the, the general salutation, he says this, I thank God every time I think of you. Who? My partners. No, I'm not thankful for the, uh, for, the, for the situation and circumstances I am, but I am thankful for the circumstances and opportunities that I have. And hear me, loved ones, if you want to grow through the things you face, focus and reflect on what you can be thankful for. We talked about this a little bit last week. See, that's why I love our Thanksgiving service so much. People say, well, why didn't you just go down there early with your family? Because I don't want to miss that service. Because it always shapes something in my soul when I hear people tell their story of thanks. It just reminds me of how important it is. And some of the great letters that we had on this Thanksgiving service were so powerful, so moving. I just, I love it. And our people get moved. So the first thing is, is be a thankful person. And each person, hear me, loved ones, each person has to determine that mindset. No one can do it for you. Nobody could do it for Paul. No one can do it, not even Christ himself. That's why you'll see in the scriptures it talks about renewing your mind, changing your mindset. Dwell on these things. See, it's really not even a cooperative effort. God empowers you, but ultimately you get to make the decisions on what you're going to think on and be thankful for. And then notice in verses 4 and 5, Paul says, always, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, the first day that we started this little church in Philippi until now that I'm serving in prison. See, the first mention of joy in this letter, Paul considers the Philippian Christians what? His partners. And I believe he mentions three very practical ways that they're partners. First of all, it says they prayed for him, verse 19, chapter 1. He refers to them in their prayers. The Philippians were praying for Paul, and he believed their prayers ultimately, along with the work of the Spirit, would be the thing that would deliver him. How many of us would say, I got people praying for me that I know because of them. I'm where I am. I'm going to get to go where God's called me. See, prayer is so critical. He says that they also, they helped him. In chapter 2, verse 25, he talks about Epaphroditus, who was their messenger, who was sent to take care of Paul's needs. See, if you end up in an American prison, guess what happens? You'll be fed, taken care of, probably get to watch TV. It's all done by the prison staff. But in Paul's day, unless you had somebody out there on the outside who was consistently coming and caring for you and taking care of you, you probably would have died. You would have starved to death. But Paul says, thank you, partners, that you sent Epaphroditus, who continually took care of me, ministered to my needs, gave to me. And the third thing it says here, they gave. Chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, Paul brings up the issue of their generous financial support. The Philippians, they, they sent offering with Epaphroditus to help out Paul. This isn't the first time that they had sacrificially given to Paul to support his work. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see in numerous places where Paul is thanking them because of their financial generous support. Well, see, you see those three things here. You can really see now why Paul would say this, I pray for you with joy <laughs> because of your partnership in the gospel. I feel this way about so many of you too as a pastor. See, I pray for you when I think about what God's doing in Creekside. I pray for so many of you. And I, and I just get this joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel. I can't tell you how it blesses me when I see new people step up. I see people leading ministries that want to make a a passionate, purposeful difference for Jesus Christ in our schools, in our communities. Sometimes it probably, my thank yous almost seem disingenuous, but hear me, loved ones, they really do. They come from my guts because I am so proud of so many people that are stepping up and doing things that they thought they could never do, but they courageously started. See, God's doing some wonderful things at Creekside. I'm thankful for those of you who will do these three things as partners. You pray. I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed whenever... Now and again, I receive different emails, probably once a week, email or a card for somebody, or someone just comes up to me and says, Pastor, I just want you to know, I've been praying for you. Is everything going all right? Yeah, 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 it's going good. You know why? Probably because you're praying for me. It just blesses me that people would take the time, not only to pray for me, but then to let me know about it, because there's something that wells of confidence within me, because I know that a lot of you pray for me. I know some of you tell me you pray for me every day. That's probably the only thing that keeps me at least the wheels on this little track we're on. I need it, and I thank you for it. Sunday mornings, every morning, every Sunday morning, sometimes I forget and I miss because I'm running and doing some things, but I've got a leadership team that comes in and prays for me. I'm so thankful. It just gives me a little boost of confidence to be able to come out here and do what I do. See, prayer is the first and more, most important way that we can partner together in God's work. Listen, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And we can never forget that, that we come together, and it's really all about what he's doing. But we want to hear his voice. We want to move with sensitivity so that we can be and bring Emmanuel, God, with us. I want to thank you for your help. You know how many volunteers it takes to run a Sunday? You know? Yeah, a lot. Uh, nobody's got a number, though, huh? I don't either. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it might, somebody here might, but um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of people to serve. And can I tell you something? We still need more help. Sometimes I know in the, in the churches you get bigger. You know, when you a church of 50, 60, 75 people, everybody looks around and knows, boy, i got to help. You get a church this big and, and you say you need help, you know what everybody does? They look around and they go, oh, I bet they got the bases covered pretty well. Look at all these people. We don't. We always need help. And I just want to challenge you. If you're not involved in something and, uh, you know, just a, some kind of small ministry to starting place, roll your sleeves up, sign up, and get involved. Contact myself, one of the staff, and we will help you. But listen, loved ones, it is imperative that we're all rowing together so that we can keep the mission moving forward. And Paul says, because of your partnership, I'm not even with you and you're doing things for me. And we're all here together. We can continue to make a difference. Those of you who serve, can I just tell you, thank you for your partnership. Again, I'm not, you, you think I can, but I, I pinch myself saying, wow, I get to go to church today. I get to serve with these people. I get to see leaders serve. Take the initiative and move out and do things. And I'm not even there. It was probably six or seven years ago at most things, maybe eight years, seven, six, seven, most things, I'd be the first there, the last one to go. 
Now I don't even know half the stuff that goes on around here. But can I tell you something? That's the sign of a healthy church. And it isn't one person. It's not about me. It's not anything even that I do. I'm just along for the ride because I've got wonderful partners that I get to walk and do ministry with. Third thing he says is you give. Well, I would say the same thing about you. You give. This is an incredibly generous church. Wonderfully, graciously generous. Did you want to know about something today? What did you want to know about? Oh, the harvest offering. I was trying to figure out how can I announce it. Well, I think I'm going to announce it here because you give not only because you might be better off last, this year than last year, you don't give, I don't believe, just because you might have gotten a better bonus. Can I tell you why I believe Creeksiders give? It's because a lot of you, your heart is being enlarged. It's being enlarged for ministry. It's being enlarged for missions. It's being enlarged to, the, to help the poor. It's being enlarged to say, we want to help other ministries. It's, being, it's, it's, being, it's, it's just growing because you want to help other ministries locally. You want to help other missions worldwide. And you want to help people like Pastor Chris and Britt start a church. That's why we give, isn't it? It isn't just a summons to be obedient, although that's part of it. So you want to know what the harvest offering is today? Okay, I'm going to round it off just a little bit. Now, this is the largest that we've ever had after the first week. And it's right around $71,000. Is that great or what? You know what? I think we need to do something. Have you ever seen, you know, you know football? <laughs> Some of you watch uh, Thursday? Well, I didn't see one. I saw one in college, but um, some small game. But they had this thing where a guy threw, a, the referee threw a flag because of, of excessive celebration. <laughs> now, I'm going to be really loving here, but you know, we, we didn't excessively celebrate. There would be no flag. So would you stand with me? And would you just thank Jesus that he would open up our hearts? Thank you, Lord. We give you thanks, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now do this. Turn around, high-five a couple of people and say, we got to celebrate these things. Right on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> this church, listen, I got to tell you, it amazes me with your generosity. On top of that, you're faithful in your giving of your tithes and your offerings. L- literally, I, I'm amazed, and I thank you for your generosity. I rejoice in, your giving par- in our giving partnership because we really do get to make a difference in a lot of different places. Because of that, I pray with you with great joy, loved ones, because you are good partners. And there's hundreds of you that are serving, so many of you that are giving. And hear me, um, if you want, we'll still be receiving the harvest offering until the end of the year. Because I know some people say, yeah, Pastor, we got bonuses coming and blah, blah, blah. So um, it doesn't end last week. It goes through the end of the year. But let me shift gears here just quickly. Let me ask you this question. 
Do you have good partners? Do you have people in your life who you know pray for you? Do you have people in your life who are there when you need help? Who are willing to kick in should something happen and you need help? Do you have some people like that? And just as importantly as I ask that, are you that for other people? Are you a good partner? I'm always surprised and saddened by when I see people that are in this church. And all of a sudden, again, because it's large enough now, it's hard for me to keep track of everybody. But two or three months ago, oh, yeah, it's staff. Have you seen so-and-so? Oh, no, we haven't seen so-and-so. And they just kind of just float away. Why is that? Well, it's because they don't have good partners. Can I challenge you, loved ones? If you don't have good partners, start with a growth and I don't mean go there because you're trying to tag along and you say, okay, I've got to find me a good partner. But it's where relationships are built and it's where they grow. And if you can get them in other ways in this fellowship, great. But make sure you have good partners. People that you know will invest in you and people that you invest in because ultimately it will pay big dividends in those times in your life when you'll end up in jail. And can I just tell you something? Every one of us is going to end up in jail. If you haven't, some of you are already in there right now. What's a jail? It's simply a confined place. It's a place where you have no control over. It's a place where you, you, you just feel like you can't get out. You're stuck. And sometimes you need the people around you. They can touch you and encourage you and speak to you and pray for you. Second thing you see here with, with Paul is see the joy of God's purposes. There's always great joy in, God purpose, in God's purposes. Paul says that the imprisonment was actually a result in the advancement of the gospel. Pick it up, if you would, in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel. What kind of language is that? Talk about positive. Hey, all this is good. I mean, not good, but it's good. The gospel's moving forward, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment, and they dare even to speak more the message fearlessly. Some, to be sure, preach Christ out of envy, strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored, whether by life or my death. See, he has this incredible intentionality and purpose where he's looking forward. God is using him in this difficult prison to spread the message. And he says, because of that, I rejoice. When was the last time you said, you know, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I wish I did, but I'm still going to rejoice. 
And I'm going to use this whole situation to speak to other people about your goodness. Can I tell you something? Never forget this, loved ones. People watch you. If they know you go to church, they watch you. First of all, they want to see if you're the real deal. Secondly, they want to see if you're one of those right-wing bigoted Christians that can't really relate to anybody except another Christian. Third thing they want to check is, okay, when the tough times come, will they really still be a good, strong Christ follower? Those are the three things that people really want to know out there. Are you real? And is this thing with your God real? So you see these soldiers, Paul is telling us, they guarded Paul. And while they were guarding him, guess what? These guards were getting converted. Imagine being, you know, shackled to Billy Graham. And then, and then your, your, your audience is rotating every eight or ten hours. Man, talk about a rotated captive audience. Okay, next. Okay, here we go again. Okay, Paul, I'll give in. You know? And then it says they would leave and somebody else would come. See, the Christians in Rome, because of, Paul, because of Paul, they felt encouraged to speak out for Christ more boldly. Isn't that true? When you see somebody going through it, you just go, Wow. Look what they're doing for Jesus in the midst of their situation. And I am so puny that I can't even do my little thing in what I'm facing. He even says, too, that as as the rivals were preaching Christ, there were some who were jealous of Paul, and they preached Christ out of selfish ambition. They did it for their own reasons, their own purposes. They probably did it out of envy, he said, out of rivalry. But they probably looked at Paul. They're probably ticked off and jealous of his of his giftedness and probably upset because of the success that he was having all around him, starting churches and doing all of this. So they started taking swipes at at Paul and trying to lift himself up. They wanted to Paul him down. What was Paul's response? Big deal. Are they preaching Jesus? Okay, I don't care. It doesn't matter about me as long as they're preaching Jesus. How about your life? How are God's purposes being advanced through your life and your circumstances? Isn't it easy to complain and, you know, over time we just, we ask all the wrong questions when we're in a confining and jail experience? Most of you have probably heard of Joni Erickson Tata. She was a quadriplegic at the age of 17. She was active. She was an athletic teenager when she dove into a lake and she broke her neck never to walk again. She spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. She tells the story how afterwards, when she, after she'd come out and she was going through all the rehabilitation, how she was deeply depressed in despair and full of anger. Her first thoughts were, how could God let this happen? She simply wanted to die. But Johnny, as you know, has come on, has gone on to become an accomplished artist. She draws and paints by holding the brush in her mouth. She's a much-traveled speaker talking about the pain and the suffering of people. She's written books. Her talks have influenced hundreds of thousands, if not potentially millions, for Jesus Christ. Did God cause her accident? Absolutely not. She will say that, no. It was a teenager, and her exuberance dove into water, much too shallow. But does God have a purpose for her from her wheelchair? Absolutely. 
Jonah has reached people she never would have reached or been able to reach before. God's purposes have been advanced in her and through her. And guess what? Even in her difficulty, she rejoices. But see, these are the wrong questions that we often ask during our prison experiences and our tough appointments with God. Where is the Lord? How could the Lord? Why didn't the Lord? Or when will the Lord? See, the problem with those is we won't get answers to them. We will simply, he will simply come to us in his life and goodness and grace because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's not in the question and he's not in the Q&A business. This is the question that we get to ask, loved ones. Is he the Lord of my life? And will I allow him to be the sovereign Lord of my life every day and in every way? I don't know if you saw Time Magazine this week, but they had a section in there where they were asking some prominent significant people in the United States about uh, what would they say they are thankful for this Thanksgiving. Uh, One of them was Rick Warren, who I have incredible respect for, pastor of Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the United States, the author of The Purpose Driven Life. He said this year, this year became the worst year of my life when my youngest son, who'd struggled since childhood with mental illness, took his own life. How am I supposed to be thankful? God doesn't expect me to be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. There's a huge difference. The first attitude is masochism. The second shows maturity. We're not supposed to be thankful for evil or sin or the innocent suffering caused by these things. But even in heartache and deep grief, there are still good things that I can be thankful for. I am thankful that God sees all I go through. He cares. He grieves with me. I'm thankful that even though I don't have all the answers, God does. I'm thankful that God can bring good even out of the bad and most difficult of my life when I give him the pieces. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections and then benefit the whole world. God never wastes a hurt if we give it to him. So often our lives take turns we haven't planned. We have appointments with God that are not seemingly so divine from our perspective. But we see here, Paul, I think part of his divine appointment was simply this. He'd probably never written two-thirds of the New Testament if God didn't say, I need to kind of shut you up in jail for a while so you have time to write. Why? Because God is at work all the time. And the last one is simply to see the joy of growing hope. Notice what Paul says here in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now I live in the flesh... This means fruitful work for me. I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. And I don't know which one I would choose, whether to live here or to die and be with him. I'm pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Notice how he's always thinking about other people. He's not thinking about getting out. He's thinking about you and you and you. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you 
for your advancement and joy in the faith. So that because of me, your confidence, because of me, because of how you see what I'm going through, because of how you see what I'm handling, guess what? Your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Oh, just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The third thing you'll see here is when the third moment when Paul talks about joy. It's about a growing hope, a future full of hope. Paul said that he would continue to rejoice because he had confidence in the work of God in him and through him and the Spirit's help at work in him. Now, note back in verse cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 6, I said, underline this scripture. It says this, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it, will bring it about until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, loved ones, for each one of you in this room, for each one of us in this room, for me, for you, there must come a time for each of us where we not only understand but become convinced that because God has started something in you, he will complete it. He will finish you. If you don't have that belief, if you're not convinced of that, you will struggle with the issues in your life you face, the difficult things that you have to deal with, the failures of your own life. But if you believe, if you are convinced that what God has started in you, he will complete it until the day he comes or you die, I can't tell you how keeping of a statement that is. I, mean, I don't want to sound simplistic, but this truth in 1.6, God is sovereign in my life, is so critical. He is at work. Nothing controls my destiny but Christ working in me. That's what Paul is saying. Yet I must get up every day and choose to cooperate with him. If you study Paul, he has all of this great hope and confidence in God's work that it will be accomplished, yet he realizes he's got to get up and make some decisions every day to follow Jesus. See, when things are out of my control, hear me, they're not out of his control. You are a product, hear me, you are a product of God's works and purposes, no matter what happens to you or around you. God is a God of the redemptive work. Takes thorns, turns them into crowns takes the cross, turns it into victory. And some of us may have difficult finishing projects, but God never does. Paul says, I also want you, Christ, to be exalted in my life, either in life or in death. And he knew that either one, life or death, would be good. To live as Christ, I'm going to live and I'm going to give it my best shot. I want to do everything I can to have a fruitful life that is bearing fruit for Jesus. But he says, you know what? To die wouldn't be a bad option either. You know why? Because if I die, I'm with Jesus. Hear me, loved ones. There's no despair so deep as the despair of hopelessness. To look ahead and see nothing but darkness. Nothing is worse than that. But Paul is writing from a dark, dingy, desolate jail with a death sentence hanging over his head, and he rejoices. Why? Because he could see beyond his present circumstances. He saw a bright future with glowing and growing hope. 
And ultimately, he come to this resignation, not a resignation of passivity, but a resignation of assertiveness of faith that says it doesn't matter how it turns out. Either way, I win. Win, win. Die, win. Here, do what God calls, win. It's almost a cadence. Live, Christ. Die, Christ. Live, Christ. Die, Christ. Either way, Christ. And when you live like that, it's amazing how it can change your perspective and give you hope for tomorrow when there seems like there's no hope for today. To live as Christ. Paul could rejoice because he was to fully live to know Jesus. His life now had purpose and meaning and direction. To live as Christ. I know my future is bright because I'm living for eternity, for the eternal one. I live for Jesus, so today will be a great day. I don't know what your jail might be now, but whatever your circumstances, you can offer those and yourself to Jesus. And some of us just need to be able to say, Jesus, today, today, I'm going to make a decision. It's going to be about you. It's not about the prison that I'm in. It's about you. Oh, get help from the prison. Get with your partners. Get help. But make sure Jesus is the focus, regardless of what you're facing. And then he says to die is gain. Paul realized that he could die at the hands of Roman executioners, that his cell might be the end of the road, the last Hotel 5 that he ever got to see, but he could rejoice in his death because to die for him was gain. How many of us could say that? Man, today if I die, that's all right. I don't know if I can. But I know I'm not afraid of it. See, the word there where he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, it's, uh, the word depart is the word for breaking camp, tearing down the tent and moving on. What he's saying there is this isn't the end. You hear me say it all the time. If you come to his, it's a transition from life to life. It's a change of address. It's a move. A much better address, I might add. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Guess what? I'm going back there to prepare a place for you so that where I may be, you may be also. Hear me, loved ones. That's what Jesus is doing for you. That's why he came this season that we're, gonna, we're stepping into December 1st, Christmas. He came, Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could live for us, die for our sins, resurrect, and go back to the Father and prepare a place for us to be with him for eternity. Your soul doesn't sleep. Your body dies, but your spirit lives. This is not the end. It is simply a transition from life to life. And hear me, loved ones, when you live with that kind of perspective, and I don't mean that, you know, you're just, there's probably nothing wrong with yearning for heaven at some point. Because there is something. First John says that as we look to Jesus in heaven, and we, we, we anticipate and live for his appearing, guess what? It purifies our life. But this is our hope, to live as Christ, 
to die as Christ and gain. And as we head into this season, I don't know what season you're in, but if you're in a prison, what I'd like for you to do is to just say today, I give this prison myself to Jesus. Jesus. 